0: Did you work on the recent episode of uh, Pause with Sam J? I know you've worked on that show before. The one about uh, yeah. school and she was kind of being disruptive in the classroom and like the way her teachers were, that team. Did you work on that yeah. episode? Yeah, I like that episode. I, I watched that recently. I was like, yo, I can relate to like being disruptive in school and not feeling like you kind of like are learning.
1: Yes, yes. The uh, SMDK episode. Yes, yeah. I did that.
0: That's the word I couldn't. Yes, thank you.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'm definitely, uh, I was finishing that as I was putting the finishing touches on the movie. It was working on that as I was putting the finishing touches on the movie. It was a a whirlwind, uh, like, you know, editing for uh, Sam J and HBO, as well as kind of trying to get this film, Mm -hmm. landing this film in Tribeca.
0: Edit, editing, film too is like you're in a whole universe. Like <laughs> it's like yes. a casino, right? There's like no clocks and there's no windows there's nothing. You just kind of <laughs> you gotta just get there and then you hope you hit the jackpot, basically.
1: Bro, you're you're right about that. You're just in a, a dark room for months on months. For in the case of this film, we were in there for years. You know, we we basically, I want to say, started editing about 2000. I mean, 2015. So about 2015, we started trying to put concepts together. So it's definitely a a process. Uh, Editing is a process that, you know, nobody really knows how much time goes into these things, but we definitely uh, spend a lot of time in the edit bay moving stuff around.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a magic trick. People see you pull the rabbit out of the hat or make the coin disappear or whatever it may be. And they don't realize how much practice it takes to do the sleight of hand or to uh, make the like the magic
1: happen, basically. Yes, yes, the kind of uh, you know, just it it all becomes like storytelling at at some point. You know what I mean? Where you're trying to take the audience on a ride, you know, and move beyond kind of just uh, resume facts. You know,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, you don't want to be Wikipedia dry,
1: right? Right, right. And so just it took it took a while to be able to move beyond those type of uh you know, move beyond those type of edits, you know
0: mm-hmm: Yo, welcome, to my summer Lair. I'm your host Sammy. I can do the robot, but I can't do the worm, Yunan. In 2008, Marvel Studios released Iron Man. This is how it all started. By 2012, all of Marvel's cinematic superheroes had assembled in Avengers. The MCU was up and running, having established a formidable pop culture experience. Similarly, Detroit was home to a group of techno DJs, a Sonic Avengers, the Techno Six. So when you think of Detroit, you usually think of like Smokey Robinson, Jay Dilla, Jackie Wilson, uh, White Stripes, uh, Eminem, Alice Cooper, Bob Seger, uh, The Supremes, I'll even toss in Stevie Wonder. Detroit has given us so much music. And you know all of these musicians, you know all their hits, but one of Detroit's greatest contributions has been overlooked and undervalued, techno. The electronic music phenomenon was created by Detroit DJs in the 1980s, big banged by the Techno Six. That spark transformed dance music internationally and blossomed into the multi-billion dollar industry of EDM today. And just who were the Techno Six who gifted us with all this incredible techno music? That's the exploration of Christian R. Hill's God Said Give Em Drum Machines, screening at Tribeca Film Festival. Though often techno sounds like the future, and sci-fi, and spaceships, God said give them drum machines let us look back in the past like a time machine. So yeah, let's visit Detroit in the late 80s by talking to director Christian Hill.
2: Sound, the final frontier. My summer lair is an enterprise, a pop culture voyage with a continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new creators and celebrate established producers, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now here is your host, Sammy Yunan.
0: All right. I know you're based in L.A. now, uh, primarily, but, like, I just want to kind of get an updated report card. How is Detroit these days? Like, the city has gone through a lot of changes in the last 20 or 30 years. Like, do you still hear from people that are there? Like, when you go there, is the vibe completely different? Like, how is Detroit these days?
1: I mean, Detroit is, uh, I like to call it, Detroit is active. It's fun. You know, uh, the way that kind of the city has uh, kind of grown through this process of like redevelopment or redefining. It's just a renaissance city. It's always been a renaissance city. But, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, I believe that, um, man, it's, it's fun to get back to Detroit and I still uh, run into a lot of the people I grew up with, Uh, the dance scene in particular, man, is so active, clubs and stuff, Uh, you know, our, you know, Spotlight, TV, Marble Bar, uh, Motor City Wine, like all these these, uh, clubs are now uh, active and the music is, you know, everywhere, excuse me, when I go home, so, Detroit for me now is like, uh, you know, I like to say it's my muse, but it, it's definitely a place that, you know, I spend a lot of time and, um, uh, I'm always open to go back and hang out, you know?
0: Yeah. And so I want to extend on that thread because your documentary, God said, give them mm-hmm. drum machines. It opens in Detroit, mm-hmm. Michigan. It's based in Detroit. Yes, um, yes. and as you said, it's a Renaissance city. So, but we also a lot of people generally know Detroit is like Motown there's a number of sounds mm-hmm. genres that are associated mm-hmm. with Detroit. Detroit has given us a mm-hmm. lot of remarkable music. So mm-hmm. is that what you're talking about with the Renaissance City like why Detroit? What are the elements of Detroit that produce all this quote unquote soul music?
1: Oh man, you know, uh I have to say that, you know, the people who come, who you know, come up uh, from the South and people who kind of, uh, made their homes in Detroit during the, uh, fifties and sixties. I mean, they brought like a, 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 special type of, um, how can I say it? They brought a special type of courage. They brought a special type of, uh, feeling to, uh, to the town. So, you know, it's like when you talk about Motown and you talk about jazz and you know you can talk about you know some of the funk things that came out of detroit in the 60s and 70s you know it's it's only uh right that you know this music techno would come from there because you know it's uh a town also of like musicians early on you know Uh, you had like all these musicians that came trying to be a part of the Motown sound or trying to uh, connect themselves to what was happening in the seventies in Detroit. And that whole kind of, uh, I want to say class of artisan um, gave way to, you know, in the future, when these young kids came up, they had those kind of uh, people to kind of lean on and to talk to, not only to talk to about Uh, music, but talk to about making music. So there was always kind of this passing on of information that was happening in Detroit between musicians, both generationally and intergenerationally. Heritage. Yes, yes.
0: It's not just heritage, but is it also about hustling as well? Because I feel like your documentary is a little bit about hustling and kind of like, quote-unquote, getting your groove on.
1: Man, you know, um, hustling in the in the in the context of taking your uh, sound or taking your your want and willingness to want to play this music in front of people yes hustling from that standpoint you know people wanting to be more and having dreams as kevin says having dreams and then actually actualizing those dreams like so f- from that standpoint it's definitely hustling but these guys all of them you know were dreamers and believed in themselves. And, you know, at certain points believed in each other to kind of like take this music to, uh, you know, new new levels and new spaces, you know?
0: Yeah, so then is God said, give him drum machines. Is it a love letter to the techno, like the specifically Detroit techno, or is this a love letter to Detroit's black culture?
1: Mm-hmm. I think it's one and the same. I think it could be two things at once. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a love letter, not only to Detroit and its place as a, a entertainment or a musical hub, but it's also a love letter to all the men and women who made up the Detroit sound, which we've come to know today, as techno.
0: Yeah, you are to Detroit what Batman is to Gotham City you have like (laughs) just talking to you now, like you clearly hear and feel a deep love for this city and like it's vibe, it's inhabitants. It's like the culture, all of it. If you were able to like kind of distill it into like a hallmark Valentine's day card, like can you express what Detroit means to you or how you feel about the city?
1: Oh man. Uh, um, I mean, I love, I love the city, you know? And, uh, The people who I've come up with, like, many of them are, uh, you know, just a lot of my contemporaries. We all have a deep love for Detroit and what it means to us. Like, not only, uh, I mean, my partner Jennifer has a deep love for Detroit. Um, All of us that worked on the film, you know, Eric Jackson, Mary O'Brien. I mean, it's just a whole team of us that really kind of, used our our love and kind of admiration for the city as the fuel to kind of get this film done. And just, we wanted to make sure we could tell a story that uh, not only uh, Detroiters uh, would love, but, but uh, Detroiters would love, but also, uh, you know, people who get to know Detroit, that they would uh, have the opportunity to uh, kind of experience it the way that we see it
0: you mm-hmm. know like a time machine
1: yeah yeah definitely going back to those days like because that was a time in the 80s when this music was pure it wasn't there was no drugs connected to it there was no uh kind of other influences on it it was just uh these guys making music and um and 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 just really finding a way to get this sound out as they saw it, or as they heard it in their heads and stuff. So um, definitely uh, you know, Detroit and this music and these guys, this this movie is a love letter uh, to all of it. You
0: know? And these guys that you're talking about, uh, there are specifically six black producers from Detroit that you follow. You wanna just give mm. us a little snapshot of who these guys are?
1: Nah, thank you, man. Uh, these guys are Juan Atkins, Eddie folks Kevin Saunderson, Blake Baxter, Santonio Eccles, and Derek May. These guys are what I like to call the first cover boys of Techno. These are the Techno six.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Over time, they were kind of broken up into, you know, the Belleville three and things of that nature, but. My film and what I wanted to show is that when you look back, it was more than just two or three individuals who made this music what it is. It was built on the early records of all six of these guys. And um, all of them have, like, when we look back, have amazing catalogs that people recognize as some of the early music of techno and uh, Detroit dance music.
0: Your documentary focuses on the the techno six as you call them the these guys and I, and I know it does focus on the music as well, but I was curious why some of the other aspects of like EDM and some of that culture uh, from the fashion, the dances, there were elements that you chose not to explore in the documentary. and I just wonder <clears throat> was curious why you d- you chose not to touch upon them
1: Because
0: it's a whole culture, right?
1: Yes, but help me understand what, uh, so I can see what maybe I didn't touch upon.
0: The documentary does a great job of focusing on, like you said, those DJs and those producers and following their story. But in terms of like the broader culture itself for like EDM and dance music, like there's specific dances, there's a lot of fashion. There's a lot of elements of that culture that it's the same thing, I guess, with like hip hop hip-hop is more mm-hmm. than just, like, rap music, right? It's mm-hmm. so There's a mm-hmm. lot of slang, there's a lot of uh, fashion, there's a lot of, like, dancing. And, like, your mm-hmm. documentary is basically, like, talking about, like, the, the equivalent would be, like, DJ Cool Herc and some of those block parties and Kool Crush Crew and some mm-hmm. of the other mm-hmm. earlier people that we kind of forget, because now we just think about, like, Tupac and Jay-Z and other, like, current people, yes, yes.
1: right? No yeah, man, uh, a great well how I'm starting to kind of like see this is um the equivalent of kind of like when you go to the museum and you go to the Egyptian artifacts and you see that the mummies and the tombs and their faces are blown off right Mm -hmm. you don't really know what that what that was and so really over the past 12 years I've been kind of trying to put the faces back on these mummies that have these artifacts that have been kind of destroyed over the years and you know I hope I did a good job but it's like people forget about you know history is always being written and rewritten and um, you know I'm just trying to do my best or we are as a team are trying to do our best to kind of like again put a human face on this music and how it came to be i think a lot of times these films kind of like spill off into resume and dj kind of accolades Mm -hmm. when really there's a lot of um, hard work and connection involved and so this film kind of reflects on kind of the human side of kind of what happened and not even what happened just how this business began to uh, work itself on them so that you know here we are 30 years later and this story is still rather untold
0: yeah so then what is your relationship to these mummies then like how did all this music and these DJs come into your life other than obviously growing up in Detroit
1: I mean that's the that's the way that you know not only coming up in detroit i mean it where i'm from um just like uh in new orleans where kids are um, gravitate to brass band instruments you know growing up in my neighborhood kids gravitated to turntables you know beat machines samplers uh juan atkins grandmother lived around the block from me you know as Mm -hmm. a kid as an eight-year-old you know um eighth grade ninth grade you know my older brother introduces me to uh djs alan esther ray berry and uh also steve dunbar these guys are uh legends within the detroit dance music dance music community but uh as a uh, 13 as a teenager i mean they became kind of my mentor and kind of guide into the world of uh Progressive music is what we used to call it back then, and um, them being the guides, you know, always stuck with me. And just over time, I took the uh, I took the the whole DJ culture aspect of it and turned it into filmmaking. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, my connection to you know this music and this culture is is much deeper than most filmmakers who, you know, who have been a part of it because I actually was there and kind of saw this thing go from, you know, it being progressive music to it to being house music to uh, them uh, putting out the album um, uh, The New Dance Sound of Detroit and then Kevin and uh, Paris put out, you know, Good Life in Inner City as an album and I remember when that album, uh, that record came out I would tell people, because at the time I was in Baltimore, Maryland, I would tell people that this music is from Detroit, this music is what they call techno, and they would laugh or Mm -hmm. they wouldn't have any really context or clue of what I was talking about. And for years, the way the term techno kind of morphed into this whole other culture and look that was foreign to me, you know, that I, you know, by the time I met Richie Houghton in south africa i was asking him when did all this stuff when did this become detroit techno i just Mm -hmm. thought it was techno
0: yeah
1: and so he he was one of the first ones to kind of let me know like hey you know then you know i'm paraphrasing but the names and john names of genres and stuff got out of our hands a long time ago you know and that this is a ecosystem of music and you know so he gave me a couple of different ways to look at it and over time i, I appreciated that because it's spot on you
0: know mm. so sticking with your background then like do you have a background in science fiction like i'm curious are you a nerd like because we're dealing with I mean, a, lot of, a lot of music obviously that sounds like spaceships and space and future and technology so are you a nerd
1: uh no no by, <laughs> by no means <laughs> i don't think i've i don't think that i've ever been called a nerd uh but <laughs> i will say that uh man this is just kind of my interest and you know i uh i studied urban policy here at the new school for social research in new york i mean so um at one point was associate you know was on track to you know Do sociology, look at city, planning, you know. So I just come at this kind of from an academic standpoint as well, you know, um,
0: because I I
1: understood research and Mm -hmm. trying to get to the bottom of things, you know, or getting closer to the truth as I could get from what these guys would tell me, you know.
0: Yeah, and this isn't your first uh, rodeo either. Like you made eight short films, I think it was. Exploring dance and Detroit electronic Mm. culture. uh, I mean,
1: yeah, yes. While we were making this movie, we definitely, uh, we definitely, how could you say? Just every time we could get a chance, we kind of took our footage and tried to uh, edit it into something. You know, and uh, some of those micro films, you know, we did one on Al Esther, we did one on Delano Smith, uh, which Delano kind of helped, you know, produce. Like, uh, we did several, a couple on Juan and, you know, of course, Norm Talley and Kyle Hall. But I think out of all those short films that we made, we made one called Electric Roots. It was a short film that took us to the Cannes Film Festival in 2014.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and that film had black coffee richie harden uh isa williams let me see nesker one uh digital it was was just groups that were from south africa you know a lot of guys that really like kind of explained to us how Detroit and South Africa connect in many ways. And we also learned just how the scenes differ in many ways. But that film, Electric Roots, was really kind of uh, our first, you know, uh, chance to show people what we do and what we had. And You know, we got the opportunity to go to the Cannes Film Festival. So that was great. But it still took us some time to get the funds and everything we needed to make this film.
0: Yeah, so talk to me a little bit about that process. You said already it's a 12-year process. You got, like, a shout-out on Arsenio Hall. You were rejected from Sundance. You had either audio that was lost or stolen. Like, there's all these mm. setbacks and frustrations. So kind of give me a, a, a view of what that process was like. As 12 years with one project is a long time. And so to finally be here at Tribeca must be, like, major relief.
1: Man, it's a major relief. In, like, over the 12 years that, you know, you know, it starts really with the death of my mother. You know what I mean? My mother passed and I was in Detroit with a Canon 5D, like looking for something to to do. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I started filming, you know, not only DJs just around the city and just using the camera as a, a means to, uh, grieve and cope. You know, for the first few years, it was just like the camera gave me the opportunity to to travel in those early years. We went as far as Nizhny Novgorod, Russia. We went Hmm. to London. We went to, of course, uh, Cape Town, Johannesburg, um, you know, Berlin. We, We traveled all over the world in those, like, first years just following the thread of this music. And uh, I want to say it's 2016, I lose my father. You know, my father was a big supporter, not only for myself, but for the film. Like, you know, he, we come to town, he let us drive his car, You know, stay in his basement, <laughs> you know, just yeah. all the things that, you know, you really don't think about when it comes to uh, making a film, like, you know, Rental cars, the cost of housing and hotels, like all that stuff, it takes a village. Yeah, yeah, it takes a village, and just over time, um, you know, you kind of forget about how uh, how much sweat equity really uh, moves the ball to the end zone. Yes, cash does keep everything going, but sweat equity is what kind of gets us to the you know it gets us to the end zone you know it's a lot going on behind the scenes sometimes and it's not cash driven it's Mm -hmm. it's people in it and inertia driven just energy driven a lot of these cuts they're happening over months where there's no budget you know so the journey is is one where uh like you mentioned, I think you know, like we talked about before, you're in a dark room most of the time. Yeah, and you're trying to uh, see this this landing. You know, that's one thing. Me and Dave Pelicharo, um, also Katie at XTR, Christina at XTR, like, and my ex my uh, executive producers. Uh, Shaka and you know uh, Catherine that we all talk about is kind of like how is this thing going to land what do we got to do to finish it and like these conversations are happening like all the time but the work has to catch up with these conversations and you know the clearance of stuff it just gets real in the end it gets real the minutia of like every edit becomes important so yeah the journey is one where you just kind of are always trying to figure out how do we how do we how do we end it or how do we finish you know Mm -hmm. because uh you never know when that day's gonna come like if we hadn't got into Tribeca we would still be working on the film
0: right it's funny how your journey and the what you just described kind of mirrors like the Detroit techno music Like it just started locally, and you're just walking around grieving. You got your little 5D camera, and you're trying to shoot. You're trying to find a voice. You're trying to make something. And all of a sudden, now Mm -hmm. you're in up all these different. You're at Con. You're at like Berlin, South Africa. Like you, you win places. The camera took you places the same way that this Detroit techno music took these DJs and these sounds places.
1: Yes, yes, for sure, man. And a lot of these uh, places we would see people who uh love this music
0: mm-hmm.
1: man and love these guys and knew all about detroit you know i can remember being in nizhny Novgorod, russia and the dude and a gentleman by the name of dimitri like he knew everybody he knew their histories he knew kind of their last releases he he knew the labels that they worked for outside of their cells. you know, everybody, you know, f- from Juan on down to like Anthony Sheikh, Shakir, Norm Talley, uh, Mike Clark, uh, Delano Smith, the Beatdown crew. It, like this guy in Russia knew more about Detroit techno than most Detroiters. <laughs> That's crazy. So, uh, yeah so you we we definitely ran into those type of uh technophiles mm-hmm. and they wanted to just let us know that they love this music and the general the people that make it are their heroes.
0: I want to stay with technophiles because your documentary does a great job too of exploring gay culture and its impact and its intersection when it collided with techno music and it's just fascinating that like gay culture and the the dance Areas and things like that have contributed so much to our popular culture. Um, Mm -hmm. What is it you think, like, when you're making the documentary and talking to people, like, what is it you think about like gay culture that is able to like be curious and adapt and even refine this music
1: and and be so open and welcoming to all people that enjoy this music? Like, so somebody like King Collier becomes the gatekeeper in Detroit. Mm -hmm. He's the guy who works for all of the uh kind of the promotion companies he gets all the 12 inch copies of records that you know are not for sale he might have four or five copies and you know he'll sell some to the up-and-coming dj so that they could play that record as well so you know what ken basically brought and he, you know not only Ken but the entire kind of gay community what they brought to Detroit dance music is something that needs to be highlighted and kind of il- illuminated because you know without that you start having these miscommunic not you know, I'm saying miscommunications but these um misunderstandings yeah. of how this music came about like there's a, a part of the Detroit dancing it's all based in teenage clubs and and dance music but sometimes that overshadows actually how that even came you know sometimes that story overshadows Ken and other Dwayne in the Mix or you know Stacey Hale like all these people who basically introduced this music to my, people like myself and also the people in the film
0: mm-hmm. you know
1: that without this introduction uh these people in the film may have never seen uh, a dj or somebody uh, uh do what uh they're doing now i mean you know just to think about it, it's like these guys uh saw ken collier in the late 70s early 80s but by the uh mid to late 80s they were now doing what they had seen kind of done in in areas that were taboo Mm -hmm. you know so in that time as eddie folk says you know gay culture and stuff like that was taboo but you had to be around where the where this was happening period and you know it had to be stated you know, in the film, especially when you start talking about Larry LeVan, you start talking about Frankie Knuckles, you start talking about how this culture kind of um, exploded around the country. And in particular, in, you know, kind of these black beds of Chicago and New York, you know, you kind of have to tell. But, or It just felt right to me to make sure that I told those connections and that story because it made it, at that point, feel like a bigger story
0: for sure and i mean like even just from the mainstream perspective again gay culture was one of the early adopters of like david bowie and madonna and those kind of people Mm all right and Mm -hmm. kind of pushed them to the mainstream and so this adoption from gay culture has given us so much popular culture uh that sometimes like you said the roots sometimes get lost or we don't know the origin of where these things came from so Mm -hmm. and to wrap up then like A documentary is a beautiful thing because it gives you a window into a world you may not traditionally view. It's like traveling, right? Like you go to a different country and you see how people live and how they eat and how they dance over there. So if somebody was interested in going beyond the documentary and want to listen to some classic Detroit techno, what are some of your Mm -hmm. recommendations either for like songs or DJs or both? What is it they should look into or listen to or fire up on the YouTube?
1: Man, I would uh, start with... uh... The Blake Baxter catalog of when we used to play, uh, I definitely would play that. I like, uh, of course, all the recent Santonio records of uh, You Can't Play Our Music, uh, To Force Field. I definitely like uh, E Dancer, Kevin's iteration, that kind of more darker iteration, you know, uh, or I want to say his alter ego. And you can't really uh, start talking about Detroit techno without talking about Cybertron, mm-hmm. any of the earth, Cybertron of R9, Clear, uh, Allies of Your Mind. And, you know, those records are seminal records and kind of what this music is built on. Juan's No, no UFOs. Of course, his work with uh, Doug Craig uh, making uh, Technicolor. Like, those records were big records in Detroit I mean you would have two and three copies you know <laughs> and you know that's back when like you know a 12 inch was like five ninety nine, or you know right. six ninety nine, you know or you could find something for $3.99 you know you, know, you just but those records you definitely had doubles of and you wanted to do tricks and you know cut it up and stuff like that so it, it was definitely um uh, definitely uh a good time you know and that music it represents what i think is is hardcore detroit techno
0: all right we can leave it there the documentary is called god said give Them drum machines it's screening currently at tribeca and uh hopefully you get a f- you, you have you sold it yet or are you hoping for more screenings or what are you hoping following tribeca hey
1: man from your lips to god's ears we're working on doing Doing selling it and um our friends at uh xtr are helping us get that uh which is a documentary uh film company and not uh, what do you call it? A non-fiction film company here there in los angeles they're helping us get to sell and get everything out so mm-hmm. we'll see how everything goes but we definitely uh are looking forward to getting out and touring the film both in the states and in canada so hopefully we'll be there soon yeah.
0: all right god said give him drum machines thank you so much for this like universal studios tour of uh, classic detroit and uh, the detroit techno scene thank you Kristen.
1: oh no man thank you for your time man i appreciate it thank you so much
0: yo that was director christian hill the documentary is god said give him drum machines Here's a bonus moment I cut out of the conversation because my Sesame Street observation didn't quite fit the flow. Following that, stay tuned for a My Summer Lair PSA. Can I uh, acknowledge one one aspect of the documentary that I really liked? Please. There, so as you're kind of going through everything and you're talking to the different DJs and all these kind of things happening... Every now and then you would sprinkle like an actual like six o'clock news segment of like them talking about electronic (laughs) music or whatever may be. And it's Mm -hmm. I hadn't realized like growing up, uh, grew up in the 80s and the 90s, but I hadn't realized Mm -hmm. that like there was that kind of like Sesame Street type dialogue and teaching moments. The the culture is really purposeful about, like, this is what electronic music is. Like, you might have heard about some things or whatever, but this is kind of what it is. And I know it's a goofy, like, stuffy white guy who may not be, like, part of the culture. And it might be, like you said, (laughs) Wikipedia dry. But at least you're getting this, like like I said, a Sesame Street element of, like, what this culture is. And I don't feel like we do those kind of things anymore. Like, we just kind of, like, accept, like, that you're supposed to know what techno is or Detroit music (laughs) scene is. Or you've just kind of stumbled on something new, like some random internet search. And I didn't realize that we, that there was purpose for learning when we were growing up like that.
1: Man, that was, that was like the goal is to to kind of put those Easter eggs in so that uh, people see that over time that this, this music was making its way into the zeitgeist, right? And by the time it got to the zeitgeist, like, do we know who these guys are, right? So by so you say in, in 1988 mm-hmm. they come out on the cover of uh, the magazine, uh, which is forgive me. When they come out on the cover of the magazine, it's uh, what's it? <sighs> the name of it is uh, slipping me right now. Oh. so 88, the 88 they come out on the mm-hmm. cover of Record Mirror, right?
0: That's yes, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. By 97, it's a it's a whole. Different things. CNN is like, "Hey, techno! It's this new sound called techno." <laughs> right? And they're showing it to you, but none of the guys that they're showing you are the Cover Boys,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know. So, just in a in a from '88 to '97, this music almost like flipped, and when it flipped, is just like, how do you know where it came from? You know what I mean? Because it it had just already taken off, you know. And then by the time the Napster era comes, I mean, it's it's over, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of how we see uh, these, the techno six, you know.
0: Yeah, that's why I made the analogy of like G.G.A. Cool Herc. Right. Because it's uh, a lot of kids, rightly or wrongly. Don't kind of recognize like what he did and his contributions were to hip hop and just all the earlier guys too, all right? Kool Kush Crew and those guys, yeah. like like hip hop didn't just come out of nowhere and it it didn't start with like Biggie and Tupac or something, right? Like
1: right, right, right. But you can't tell the kids that today, you know? Right. Cool, cool Herc is like he he needs like he needs his movie, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And nobody seems to have ever told it, but just, it's just like to me, just like Ron Hardy, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: like ron hardy nobody in chicago there's no ron hardy mural you know? Yeah, he's he's kind of i'm trying to uh yes people remember him and love him i just want to make sure that he's kind of uh talked about even though this is a detroit techno doc he had an impact on all these guys so mm-hmm. yeah, you know, just that oh uh,
0: yeah Jazz seems to do a better job of keeping that history alive, right? Like it's almost like jazz is like a like a third movie in a franchise. Like you gotta watch the first two movies, right, to (laughs) to understand uh, like what's happening and who the characters are or whatever. And I think a lot of times, like techno and sometimes rap music, it's like it is technically the third uh, movie, but it's like kind of like a James (laughs) Bond movie, right? You can watch any of the James Bonds in any order, and it doesn't matter who the actors are or anything like that. You kind of get the general premise.
1: Mm, yeah, no, I, uh, I'm hoping that people see this film and, you know, see it again, but, you know, see it a couple times so that they can really have a, uh, I guess, uh, affinity for, you know, the music and these amazing guys who created this music and girls are, you know, talking about Paris Gray as well. Like just you know, I'm hoping that people can get into this movie and then kind of like go explore more, you know, and not mm-hmm. only with music, but maybe even coming to Detroit, you know, coming yeah, to yeah. Move, man. coming to some of these festivals and kind of seeing the vibe, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I spent Feeling a lot of time the in the uh, late 90s in Detroit, uh, reading Mitch album in the Detroit Free Press and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it was... Uh... Mm-hmm. It's a great city. Like uh, it's very vibrant, but, but it's also it's also got those rough edges, right? So you know, kind of like mm-hmm. what to avoid and what to look out for. But it is a great
1: city, for sure. For sure, mm-hmm. for sure, man. Well, thank you, man. Thank you for your time, man. It's amazing.
2: If you enjoyed this conversation, some good news, my pal Sammy newsletter. Let us extend the conversation, and I know. You think of email and you think of negative connotations. You think of work. You think of that sweet senior citizen in your life who keeps forwarding those weird chain letters things so that they welcome good luck. All of that is true. All of that is email. That's because for those people and those emails, the E in email stands for electronic mail. So what if, what if the E stood for experience? What if it stood for event? What if it stood for excellence? Wouldn't that be exciting? Email doesn't have to be email, does that make sense? Go to mysummerlair.com slash subscribe to sign up for the weekly pop culture my pal Sammy newsletter. You will be elated you did.
0: Thank you so much for listening to me in a Netflix world. Drum machines, yo.